Hey everybody, Francesca here reminding you that I will be in Sacramento at the SAC Punchline on Sunday, March 17th at 7 p.m. with none other than Matt Lieb. That's right, we are co-headlining. It'll be super fun. It is St. Patrick's Day, so I guess we're all drinking, maybe? Anyway, get your tickets. There should be a link in this description, and I hope to see you there. I'm not saying that socialism is coming tomorrow, but what I am saying is that there are some incredible openings right now of the type that we haven't seen in the last 12 years. Welcome, welcome everyone to the Habituation Room podcast live stream once again on another good Sunday. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini, joined by my friend, life partner, and comedian, Matt Lieb, whose birthday it is. It's my birthday. So, hell yeah. This is one of my presents. One of my presents is getting to go on my girlfriend's podcast. Yes, and he's finally legal. So, Mm -hmm. Ladies, (laughs) watch out. I'm 18. God, I miss being 18. <laughs> I'm so I don't. Oh my God. No. I, I mean, I, I I don't miss when I was 18. That was a bad time. Sure. But, but when I, I miss when my body was 18, you know? Okay. Was that a good thing as well? I feel like when my body was 18, I could sleep uh, anywhere. Yeah. And it wasn't a problem. I didn't wake up with back pain. I wake up from back with back pain if I sleep in a hotel mattress totally you know it's just mm. uh but anyways it's my birthday What's anyway up? aches and pains aches happy and pains. birthday matt lieb welcome everyone to the podcast we got a great show uh matt and i are going to be breaking down the week's news we're going to be talking about biden's family plan mm-hmm. talking about supporting families um we're gonna be talking about dandelions and uh their life cycle and uh we're going to be uh speaking with the organizer and political strategist alicia garza who is one of the co-founders of the hashtag black lives matter movement of the of the initiations of it all um and she works with an awesome organization called black futures lab in addition to others and i'm so excited to talk to her Um, But if you're here, if you're on YouTube, hey, press the like button. Press subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Yeah, smash it. Yeah, smash it with everything you've got. But not, if you do it twice. It unsubscribes. You'll unsubscribe. So only do it once. Smash it once, but real good. Yeah, exactly. Make sure it's stick. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're listening as a podcast in the future, what's up? I hope we make it. And (laughs) (laughs) hey, like, you know, there there could be a tidal wave or a nine-point magnitude earthquake. Exactly. A meteorite. As you're holding on for dear life in, you know, the San Andreas fault that has opened up between now and when you're listening to this, Mm -hmm. if you could give this podcast five stars on your way out, like. Mm -hmm. Or on your way in. Or on your way in, you know, that'd be great. That would be really, really wonderful. Also survive that earthquake, but give this podcast five stars. It means a lot. Yeah. I did like a sympathy ask for some, some reviews. Oh, I've done that. Someone left a mean review. Oh, yeah. But they still gave me three stars, which was like weird, weird, bro. I, I had that too. I with my podcast, which I will shame shamelessly plug right now. Oh, I now. didn't plug it. Pod yourself a gun, a Sopranos podcast, where we go through every episode of the Sopranos and talk about it. Uh we yeah, we got a bad review recently. Um, and they still give us three stars. And I was like, I kind of appreciate that. Sure. They're like, you know, I fucking hate you. Three stars. Yeah. Three stars. The effort is good and the sound quality is actually not bad. You know, like <laughs> I like that. That's, you know, that's fair. 
Everybody listen to Pod Yourself a Gun if yes. you haven't already. It is so good. It's fantastic. Um, and, you know, before we kick in this show into high gear, mm. I have to take a moment to thank all of the wonderful people who support this show, which are you. You people listening, you people watching, the folks who have become patrons. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash bituation room. People who tip um, TBR-live on Venmo, TBR-live on Cash App. You support this show so long as, you know, as, as I am still foraging for the proper, you know, twigs for the nest mm -hmm. that is this podcast. I rely on you to make it happen. And with that, here is a thanks to everybody who have become patrons and tippers and Twitch subscribers. And by the way, if you are a patron, you get access to a world of swag and merch. In Lots addition of swag. To monthly AMAs, if you're a patron of 20 bucks or more, if you want a shout out, that's 10 bucks or more. So thank you guys so much for all that support. And with that, here is Lay Fart Song. God. Thank you to patrons Laura H, Jesus G, J H, and thank you for upping your pledge. Uh, for J H for upping your pledge. Uh, D Munsinger, Jonathan F for joining the Orchada Armada. Uh, David P, Debs, the very talented Debs. That's one for you, girl. Uh, oh, it's still going. <laughs> Sage Johnny. Thank you so much, Sage Johnny, for upping your pledge. You're so, so sweet. Omni, thank you. Thank you, all you sexy people who tip. Karen K, always coming through. Edgar C, love you. Joseph L, you're wonderful. Uh, Twitch subs, Red Light Dragon, Not My Baby, Lizzie Nepon, and Melissa the Defender Dragon. Love you so much. Thank you guys for being there. Hey, you guys, become subscribers right now. Wow. <sighs> There's... Woo. That was perfectly timed, which means you practice this a lot. Oh, it's like we do it every week. Every week, that oh fart God. song plays. All right, you guys, it's time for uh, us to, you know, put aside any happy feelings and mostly just focus on the negative. Hell that's yeah. what we do here. It's a political comedy show, and I'm going to focus on some negative shit. Here's what I'm bitching about. Let's get into this. This is What Are You Bitching About? The New York mayoral race is a massive disappointment to me. Mm. Uh, I uh, We have talked about Andrew Yang on this program before. We did a whole bonus episode, which, by the way, if you are a patron, you get early access to that. Matt was on. Yeah. Our good friend Raf Shimanov, who is a, an organizer and activist in New York, who's done amazing work. It is looking increasingly like, um, sadly, the tech bro entrepreneur turned political candidate Andrew Yang who does not represent all Asian Americans mm -hmm. will probably be the front runner in the New York primary for mayor. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and in part because one of the front runners, Scott Stringer recently was accused of sexual misconduct um, by a former staffer, which is like, can, can men just not? You'd figure men could not. Yeah. Could men in politics stop? It feels Do less. It feels like they should not. Yeah. But the question is, will they? Could they not? <laughs> could they, yeah. Or won't they not? Mm. And the answer is they will. Yeah. And that's a bummer. It's true. And 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 so I'm I'm sad because I feel like New York politics is such this like behemoth or behemoth or what however you like to pronounce I that. That was word. the second one. 
behemoth behemoth of a like thing it's just so huge and so impenetrable there's so many factors there's so much money there's so much real estate interest mm -hmm. um like and and i feel like to organize that city properly around a progressive candidate for mayor is is a huge task and i think uh, de Blasio has been a massive disappointment to a lot of those progressive communities. Mm -hmm. And yet I am sad that in the first election that New York has ranked choice voting, which we've talked about this before, but it's like way more democratic, just way better because you, you can actually mount more of a defense against like a, a candidate like Andrew Yang or someone like Bloomberg with a, you know, a ton of money that sadly New York hasn't gotten its act together to actually try and turn the tide. Um, and I know there are other candidates, obviously Diana Morales and, um, and, and Maya Wiley, I believe like there are other good candidates. I just don't think it's, there's a block enough to prevent Yang. And honestly, mm -hmm. I know some people like Yang, he's not going to be good for New York. No, he's clearly not good. And I think like when you say I, a lot of people like Yang, um, mostly that's in response to internet trolls who ass assure us that they love Yang. And that they cannot yeah. stand the fact that we talk shit about Yang, which to me is strange because it's like, I, I, I don't see it. What do you like about this guy? Well, it's like, I don't even think he's, he's there's not going to be UBI. Right. No one. It's not even it's the same Musk stuff. It's like the mm -hmm. people who love Elon also love Yang because he like feels new and also he's a brand that i just found out about right even though i don't know anyone else who's running yeah um and look i i'm not saying i don't hope for the best i do hope for the best if yang becomes the next mayor i i will be hard pressed i mean i think it will be very difficult um for him to actually deliver for working people in that city mm. and i am sad that a city so overrun with with inequality and too much money that yang will not be able to actually fix that or address that mm -hmm. uh, i think it is so much about brand and it is so surface and so i'm sad i'm like sad for the sea i used to live there have a lot of homies there's a lot of new yorkers here anywho yeah luckily we live in los angeles where local politics is awesome and it's dope wonderful. nothing wrong with it at all garcetti good guy not at all a fail son true True, true, true. No, you're mm -hmm. right. You're right. I should look, look great, inward. Great governor, you know, a governor <laughs> who's like a very much, Gavin is a man of the people, you know, he's just someone who Got you it. look at and you say, that's me sitting on my vineyard drinking wine. <laughs> that's me. He gets me, you know, in this way that I just feel like other politicians don't. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, Matt Lee, what are, you, what are you bitching about today? Oh, me. I'm bitching. Let, let me tell you what I'm bitching about. Um, this is a birthday related bitch. Mm -hmm. I'm bitching about the ps5 not <laughs> not that you didn't get me one which no totally what you were like is it a ps5 <laughs> i wanted a ps5 you're like what's my present is it a ps5 no it was but that's fine i didn't expect the ps5 but the reason i didn't expect to get a ps5 was because they're making it impossible to get a goddamn ps5 yeah. all right I, like i don't know what's going on at sony they, the power you know who they, they are we don't you know say. yeah the sony people big gaming big gaming is making it impossible for the every man me matt Lieb, to get a goddamn ps5 all right like the industrial revolution happened you can make one 
We all know you can make one. It's just sitting around. They're acting like it's like the special edition Szechuan sauce that came out, you know, at McDonald's when Mulan happened. And they were like, oh, it's limited time. They could do Szechuan sauce every day if they wanted to, but they don't. They're, they can definitely do a Strong. PS. Let me it's strong okay. middle school vibes. Strong middle school. It's like it's like the Szechuan Szechuan sauce. It only came out for like a one summer. When Am Mulan I wrong? I'm not but wrong. It was like the best thing at McDonald's. Anyway, it also came with a toy. But I I broke it. It, did. it came and... with a Mulan toy. <laughs> but the point is, is that everyone should be able to have access to a PS5. You know, <laughs> I think Bernie said that first. Uh, everyone should get access to. No, actually, he said universal PS5s. And Biden said access, which is, yeah, yeah. you know, code word yeah, for means tested, means tested PS5s. How would you means test a PS5? Uh, depends on how good uh, you are at gaming, honestly. <laughs> like <laughs> they, they would have to check to see how often you game on your PS4 and uh, what games you have. And uh, and you're rewarded if you are like an active participant. Yeah, if you're like an active gamer, then it's like, OK, that's fine. But, you know, a lot of people slip through the cracks. I do feel like you would die in a stampede at a walmart trying store. to get a ps5 oh, yeah i mean i feel like i would be in it in the stampede but i feel like i would live i'm just being real <laughs> i would live we're getting some offers in the chat there are people who are very straight offering uh, <laughs> matt leave their ps5 give it to trades me trades going on dude i'll give you my ps4 dude i'm just saying i mean I'll give you my ps4 you can we can trade it's not a trade it's a good ps4 it's not a good trade it's a perfectly good playstation anyways my point is industrial revolution happened make ps5 capitalism one ca capitalism one give it's too me late fucking PS5. give me the goddamn ps5 universal ps5s for everybody all right that's what i like I'm this about. i like it that's a great that's a good one to pitch you wait on you know um well we have to god are we just rolling right into this we got to get into the week so much happened this week busy right? week busy week so y'all if you were living under a rock Congratulations. How is it down there? Save me some space. Um, but Rudy, Rudy Giuliani got raided by the feds. Matt Gates's tax collector buddy apparently wrote down everything the two did together, including the payment of our underage girl for sex because he wanted to get a Trump pardon and then never got the pardon. Uh, Biden enacted a travel ban against people coming from COVID-ravaged India, but won't urge Big Pharma to waive patent rights so that India can more easily get the vaccine. And there is a massive humanitarian crisis there right now, obviously getting super hit with COVID-19. Uh, CDC says fully vaccinated people don't have to wear masks outside, which unvaccinated people are very much taking as a green light. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and it's the beginning of AAPI Heritage Month. So you're welcome. Hell yeah. For me. <laughs> I am AAPI. You AAPI are. sounds like a robot. I a am AAPI. I feel like AAPI is what they say in car commercials, and then they put a percentage next to it. <laughs> yeah. AAPI, 59%. You're like, oh, that's pretty good AAPI. That is actually the percentage of Asian that I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, but we're not talking about any of that, you guys. We're getting into our top three stories. This is The Week Where. Mm, this was The Week Where. Joe Biden, remember, he's a president. He reached 100 days in office and has finally recovered from jogging into his own inauguration. <laughs> 
Uh, Biden gave an address to a joint session of Congress in which he talked about the rich paying their fair of ch- share of taxes, said trickle down economics doesn't work and mm-hmm. called white supremacy terrorism, all of which is somehow and sadly news. Um, He also introduced the American Families Plan, a $1.8 trillion package that includes universal pre-K for all three and four-year-olds, regardless of household income, a paid family leave program, an extension of the child tax credits passed in the American Rescue Plan, two years of free community college, $80 billion more for Pell Grants, $46 billion more for historically black colleges and universities. In other words, Biden wants Americans to do it raw and see what happens. Hell yeah, dog. Okay? Maybe malarkey is just a nickname for condoms. No malarkey. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited. Great. That's good malarkey right there, dude. I'm 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 stoked on it, you know? I yeah. got to say any president who's like, "Hey, time to fucking have kids." I'm like, "All right, I'm done. Let's do it's, it." It is very much like grandpa vibes, like, "Son, you got to settle it, down." Yeah. Take this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. He just starts poking, five bucks. poking holes in your condoms. Like, <laughs> so you see, Jack, I want a grandkid, Jack. I just love it. It's like, all right, damn, dad. You're really, uh, That's exactly right. you're going for it. But, it, you know, I, I do uh, appreciate in general his uh, willingness to throw trickle down economics under the bus. Because I, I do feel like that is something that um, the neolibs of the 90s really solidified as just being an active part of the democratic uh, party ideology they were just like we're all just going to be reaganites economically everyone's yeah we're we're for austerity we're for you know like getting rid of the national debt and uh Privatization. privatization of everything but you know we're gonna pander to people to make you feel like but we're the good guys so i it's a big deal that he actually you know said Trickle down economics doesn't work because I think that is a populist message that uh, is bipartisan at this point. I think Republicans, uh, Republican voters also believe that trickle down economics doesn't work, which is a sea change. They don't express it in that way. It's more like Q said, but yeah, Yeah, right. (laughs) No, (laughs) but yeah, they it's true. Um, He it was a good speech. You guys, there's nothing. It's hard to say. And this is a good plan. The problem is many people have pointed out. It has a very slim chance at actually passing in the way it was proposed. Mm. Um, So, you know, Republicans and even moderate Democrats are already kind of like haggling down this one point eight trillion dollars for a family American families plan. I have to say, I think it's awesome. Like, I think it's it's one of those things just like healthcare, which is unless you have kids, unless you've fallen ill, you just kind of don't think about it. and, And the reality is. Most of us will fall ill at some point and mo- many of us will have children. And then it's just like, oh, I'm sorry. Are you in a world of like, it's the way that like, you don't know about pregnancy until you like start getting friends who are, have been pregnant and you have to be pregnant. And you're like, oh my gosh, you yeah. rip that much, you know, and you're like yeah, right. secrets that like nobody, how much is childcare? And so it's like, right. how much is it to just have a child? Exactly. And then you're like, wait, it costs money to have a baby. Like exactly. I understand you, you to take care to of a baby. Your child yeah. Right. Fuck? Yeah. There's an itemized thing for like a nurse held your child. And you're just like, this system seems broken. <laughs> yeah. But, but so it is good and it's good that he's connecting like early childhood education to, mm-hmm. you know, um, to like free community college, which, you know, feels like as Bernie as two Bernie bros here uh-huh. who wanted tuition free college no matter what. Yeah. It's like, 
community college is going to be real. I mean, I'm sorry. Like to me, that's the weirdest one. It's like, I'm talking free community college here, Jack. And I'm just like, I feel like that is, it's pretty close to free. A lot is, of community yes, colleges. It's fairly accessible. For I, sure. I, and so it's like, I feel like he's completely missed the mark on that one. But yeah. again, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. No. The Biden, I'm not but, throwing but out again, with the bathwater. He's got, you know, all roads lead through another Joe, Joe Manchin. So of course, none of this is going to get passed as so long as the filibuster is not reformed if abolished altogether. Yeah. Um, a lot of Democrats apparently don't want to raise taxes on the rich, which is how Biden says he's going to pay for it. Which is how you also know which Democrats that really should be primaried immediately. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and a lot of them are Joe Biden allies, which is also he a head scratcher. And so, it, again, it's sort of like say one thing and do another. And I think we're at the like, make sure that he actually does the other, does right. the actual thing. Mm -hmm. Of course, when this all came out, I was like, okay, but how is the right going to spin this? Like, oh, yeah. I knew this is the party that loves family values and families and they want everyone to have a kids and they want a nuclear family and they want a strong family, supposedly, mm -hmm. right? But they have to have some kind of retort to this because here's Biden saying he's going to help support families. Mm -hmm. And so two people I want to point out to, one is the author of the book that turned into movie, J.D. Vance. Oh, yes. Who, it, the movie is Hillbilly Elegy, uh, pretty mediocre. Yeah, the book, also bad. Also bad. And he had a whole sort of hillbilly thread about uh, universal childcare. Um, he writes, he tweeted, universal childcare is a massive subsidy to the lifestyle preferences of the affluent over the preferences of the middle and working class. And, and let's, let's see, but is it a preference or is it more of a forced decision that you have to stay home and look after your children right, yeah. or that you have to leave your child mm -hmm. with a neighbor yeah. or you have to get your mother to look after your child or your father to look after a child. What he's basically saying here. And he like had this whole mm -hmm. um, like statistics around like how um, families with two incomes uh -huh. often have childcare. It's like, yeah, no shit. Cause yeah. there's nobody else. Yeah. So like, you know what I mean? Or, and that like people who are poor mm -hmm. don't have childcare. It's yeah. Like, it's like, yeah, we know that's we what know, we're trying to we remedy. It. That's the whole point. <laughs> that's... It's not, it's not a discrimin. It's not discriminatory against those people. Yeah. It's, be it's because they currently cannot afford early childhood. I love that his idea of like, you know, being like, you know, the working class, they don't take care of their kids, you know, because it's part of their lifestyle it's part of their not culture, to. Yeah. It's part of their culture. It's like, <laughs> no, it's a fucking... They fucking, are you kidding me? They can't get universal childcare. So they either yeah. have to quit their job or they have to fucking hope that the kid doesn't, you know, go around the house eating lead while it's alone. Exactly. Exactly. And th this one, there was followed up by universal daycare is class war against normal people. L literally, I could not even parse that one. I, I've been trying for a while to parse <laughs> what any of those words mean. Universal daycare is what, what was class it? War. Class warfare against normal people who I, I don't know who he thinks normal people is i'm not sure what class he thinks normal people is i and and universal daycare specifically being that class like it's just mind blown there i mean look one day in our socialist utopia mm -hmm. in daycare they we will be already learning just you know how to you know smash the state at yeah, a young age right and that might be class war at Th some that's point. true maybe that's what he thinks against the normies yeah yeah uh, i.e. the rich, but that's not what's going on here. Another another tweet, uh, Senator 
let's not forget Senator Marsha Blackburn mm. writes, you know who else liked universal daycare and links to New York Times article who, that has a headline, the Soviet Union in the Soviet Union daycare is the norm. In 1974. <gasps> God, I love it. I love pulling out Cold War shit to be like, therefore, we need to make sure that poor people leave their kids on the street to fend for themselves. Like, it's a socialist plot. I mean, I knew, and you knew it was going to be a socialist plot. Um, I, I want the other thing that I think someone else pointed out was that actually in World War II, yeah, um, there was an expanded welfare state, and there was money mm -hmm. to families. To and to, I think, mothers specifically, some sort of program that included things like um, being able to like deliver your groceries or like have your groceries ready if you're a mom and right. you wanted them. Yeah. And it's like because there were working moms during World War II more so. And so, like, there was a, an, an acknowledgement that the war effort necessitated women to be in the workforce, but they were also having kids. And then so they needed some support from right. the state. Yeah. And that vastly helped them, Congress, like you know, uh, ended the program, but it's not like it's never been heard of in this country. Yeah. And, and f interestingly, and this sort of leads me into the next clip. Also, Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, it, it allowed women to both be in the workforce, but then also have more assistance mm -hmm. with their child rearing in effect, more freedom. There's literally no rational explanation for, being against universal child care. There's none. There's, Unless yeah. you don't like that women have freedom. And let me just play this Blackburn clip because it's pretty great. She calls the American Families Plan the anti-families plan. Plus, what this would do is incentivize women <clears throat> to rely on the federal government to organize their lives. It takes away from them the ability to organize their family life as they would like to organize it. I mean, they're, they're, this they're flailing here to come up with yeah. a reason. None of that, again, makes sense. It They can't organize their life around desperately seeking someone to take care of their kid. Yeah. Like, is that what she's talking about? See, when you give freedom, you take away the lack of freedom, yeah. the, the choice yeah. to not be free. Exactly. See, and, I, and like, you don't want to take away the choice yeah. to not be free because some women yeah. don't want to be free and some women don't deserve to be free. The, we're not thinking about the grandmas who have been taking care of little kids while mama goes out to work. And grandma's not what grandma can't see a kid no more. Now you tell me grandma can't see a <laughs> yeah, kid no does, more. It does feel like she was like, okay. she definitely has a granddaughter who does and, yeah. and a daughter or a son yeah. who do not want to like leave their kid with her. Cause yeah. they're like, no mom's going to red pill little Bobby or whatever. <laughs> like it's, it's uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, Marsha Blackburn really is mad about the fact that she can't red pill her grandkids anymore. <laughs> And she's just like, they're going to put them in a universal daycare. I ain't going to get to see them. Tell them about Q. Someone's got to tell them about the drops. These kids ain't learning about the drops in school. They're learning about the drops at Marsha Blackburn's house. I just, I, we've talked about this on Newsbroke before, but I, I, I fundamentally hate the way that the right spins the state and government as somehow um, being that women are reliant on yeah. the state and the government yeah. and that freedom from the government is somehow actual freedom. When in right. effect, a lot of right wingers are only dependent on 
their husbands mm -hmm. and their fathers mm -hmm. or their families mm -hmm. for money so they don't have to pay for any of it. Not obviously not even paying attention to the fact that women are often stuck in abusive situations mm -hmm. because they only have can rely on the per, their partners, the person yeah. that they're with or, you know, um, and and so it's like and not seeing the government as like an elected body that is far more accountable than whether or not you had an alcoholic, you know, husband or a piece of sh or a rich dad. Like, right. so anyway, you scratch the surface behind these fake feminists and that's all you find. And, and it just bothers me to no end. And they, and they consistently, I mean, the right, right wing women, young women, especially are so lost sometimes when, when it comes to this and they've been so poison pilled to the idea that, yeah, I don't want to be dependent on the government. It's right. Like, no, that's not what this is. It's yeah. the opposite of that. Right. It's actually more freedom. Yeah, anyway, we, we got to, <laughs> you could choose to, raise your own kid. It's not mandatory child care. No, no. And the, honestly, it, I'm the, surprised. The, the pre, universal pre-K is not mandatory. You, It's universal so you can opt in. Yeah, it. right. They're not going to obligate you to go to it, nor is anyone going to obligate you to go to, you know, community college. I think it's pretty clear that they right now are flailing to find the, uh, the message against it. Like they haven't figured sure. it out yet because all of these are the weirdest excuses for hating it and, and they make no sense logically. I think give it a week. And then they'll say, oh, universal child care is code for Marxist day camp for kids. <laughs> and then they'll start saying that and then fucking, you know, it'll be fine. Well, let's move on to our next story. This one was a really, really important one. I, I hope everyone saw this. Um, this was uh, the week where romance returned to the White House. Mm. A strapping young lad by the name of Joseph Robinette Biden was walking along with his bonnie last Jill. Walking is... When he spotted a dandelion. Aww. And he picks it and offers it to her. Here you go, Jill. Yeah. Why was that a little bushy? The two continue to walk towards the chopper as you do. Friendly little salute to the... <laughs> To the Marine there. Jill, tell me, is that was that food? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's not nice. <laughs> so if you guys didn't see this or you're listening to it, yes, that was Joe Biden walking to a helicopter, just picking up a, a dandelion mm -hmm. and giving it to his wife, which I got to say was the sweetest old man move I've seen in a while. Yeah. Like yeah. just an old romantic uh, in a year of not seeing old people outside, it's nice <laughs> to see some old people outside doing cute shit. Like that was like some Shutterstock retired romantic couple mm -hmm. shit. You yeah. Google and there's just like an old man handing a dandelion to yeah. a woman and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. let's use this photo. Yeah, um, I do got to say, though, uh, that clip, I don't know what it is about Joe Biden, but I feel like I really concentrate on the way he walks now. And I'm like, I feel like a, like a, a, a father watching his two year old, uh, <laughs> you know, doing like a, doing like a play. And you're just like, all right, he's walking, he's walking. You know, it's like, there's something about, it, I'm nervous for him. Oh yeah. Look, as long as he's not trying to play fetch with his dog, he'll, he's fine. Or trying to get any, anywhere near stairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, but I will say Why? that was really cute to watch especially after four years of melania swatting away trump's <laughs> hand which is so 
if Jill had swatted the hand, like mm -hmm. I feel like she should have done that just as a joke, wouldn't you? Just like, uh. yeah, oh and yeah, like no, just oh, yeah. kidding. I probably would have done. That. Anyway, yeah. of course the right has to spin this, but again, very cute old people clip, very difficult to spin. Yeah. Let's see how Newsmax tried to do that. All right, folks, I want you to take a look at this. Joe Biden today getting on Marine One, and he stops and picks up. I think it's a dandelion, but it's a dandelion that hasn't even blossomed into a flower yet like it gives everybody asthma so you blow it it goes everywhere and then everybody starts sneezing well he picks up the weed and gives it to jill as what i guess is supposed to be some kind of a sweet gesture he's getting dandelions all over the place i say it was a planted dandelion there who knows wait i'm sorry you say or was it just on your teleprompter like that you you're saying it was a planted dandelion somebody I'm sorry, but first of all, orchestrated. To be it. fair, it was planted because that's what dandelion. You have to plant them, or actually, I think they're weeds. I think they just show up. I mean, look, look. First of all, no, no one is a weed. Everyone, all, all, God, all God's creatures. Beautiful. Oh yes, all plants are beautiful. I won't say they all matter, but I love that he thinks that dandelion picking is fake news. Like, yes. like to him, he's like, this is a crisis actor dandelion. And uh, <laughs> it was, it's a Soros dandelion that it was paid to be it there. It was planted. But like, he also though, uh, like, well, what is this? Uh, romance? Like, yeah. Are they married or yeah, something? Yeah. What is this shit? Like, just he's so mad at seeing someone do something. It, um, just a little sweet. A little not not sweet. even the sweetest thing ever. Just kind of like, okay. Like, and he's just fuming about it. And. The other thing oh. I want to say, though, is that he gets the dandelion life cycle all wrong, which uh, producer Becca and I had to revisit before the show, which if you don't know, the dandelion, which is all fluffy and white, and yes, you blow it and all the seeds go everywhere. That is like the third stage of life of the yellow dandelion. So it begins as a yellow flower or oh. a bud, then a yellow flower. Then it dries up in on itself, and then it opens back up as the white Dandelion. Really? Yes. I did yes. not know and that. Then, and then all the seedlings go everywhere. It's like the most beautiful uh, example of like a life cycle. And I would arguably say that Joe Biden mm -hmm. is in the white dandelion Absolutely. phase of his life. If a strong wind will just blow his seed <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have said seed, but you know what I mean. Uh, he's uh He's definitely a strong wind. Will. Don't talk about Joe Biden's seed, please. I won't. I you won't. don't need to say those things <laughs> together. But anyway, what a stupid story. And yet we learned about science. You guys don't ever say this podcast didn't teach you nothing. Mm -hmm. All right. No, obviously um, shit is amazing. Um, we have one last story and then we're going to bring in our guest for the the remainder of this amazing program. Uh, this was the week where. Big news. Uh, we got word that Senator Elizabeth Warren is out with a new book called Persist, mm. which goes into her loss of the Democratic presidential primary after ranking so high in the polls and then not doing well. Uh, she discusses the unique challenges she faced, yes, as a female candidate, but she also, and sort of surprisingly, admits that her loss was in part a failure to explain how she would pay for a universal health care plan or whether she believed in it at all, if you ask me. Um, more on that in a little bit. We can talk about that. Um, she writes, though, that, quote, in this moment against the president, in this field of candidates, maybe I just wasn't good enough to reassure voters, to bring along the doubters, to embolden the hopeful. Um, 
And then she admits that that idea is, quote, painful to think that, you know, that could have been it, that mm. she just didn't have what it takes. Um, also, surprisingly, she does not take shots at Bernie Sanders, even though she had no problem doing so during the primary. Of course, she calls him, quote, fearless and determined. She doesn't discuss any of that drama with uh, whether or not Bernie said that a woman couldn't beat Trump. Um, she also apparently, and this is, I think, really good, devotes a chunk of the, a chapter to like her big screw up identifying her as Native American. Oh, yeah. And then early on in the race, maybe even before she announced her run, like took a DNA test to prove that she was Native American. I think based on uh, the urging by the pod save guys, which... No. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah. That's, uh, what a fucking dumb move. Yeah, here's the thing. Never listen to anything that podcasters tell you to do, except for <laughs> Francesca. Everything she does is great. Except for all of my guests and everyone we have on. Yeah, well, that's the difference. The guests are... Listen to the guests, yeah, listen never to the, guests. the host. Never and the host. I, and, and Just like Joe Rogan. Uh, yeah, honestly. Life would be better if we all just took all... Uh, like political personalities and put them down a little bit on the pedestal and just be like, they're mostly a platform for people who are doing the work, the boots on the ground to say things. Yeah. Uh, so politicians, she, please do not listen to podcasters. No, I know. But it's, but it is very like Warren who is, is fundamentally not cool. Yeah. Who you could see being convinced that something was going to be the cool, the right thing to do. And in things, effect, yeah. I would say she, perhaps listen to too many of her consultants and campaign organizers throughout yeah. the, her run versus maybe what she was good at, which yeah. was being far more progressive and tenacious. Yeah. And, uh, and, and let's be real. Like, I think we've talked about a lot, you know, that I feel like she is a little bit of the mother of all dragons or mother of dragons in that she, she had a lot of potential and kind of went off the rails at the end there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, you know, in terms of the whole she Daenerys pull, she, comparison. She pulled a bad Game of Thrones at the end. She which pulled was, a bad which Game was, of Thrones. Which I think I, I do put on um, more so her, the people surrounding her in the campaign. I, I think she listened to some really bad advice. And because uh, it's the only thing that could explain this candidate who... Um, was ahead in the polls and was also kind of the populist candidate next to Bernie. And that's the thing. Bernie obviously got a boost with the AOC uh, endorsement and whatnot, but that shouldn't have uh, turned her campaign into an attack dog because she, no. she's she's an attack dog against uh you know like uh big banks and big business you exactly. know corporate like exactly. that's what that's what people liked about her exactly. and i felt like towards the end it did feel like kind of like i'm taking you with me a little bit and, I, and it's so true and okay two things because we could talk a lot about warren but two things i just want to say uh -huh. is that i think this book sounds like, and I haven't read it, but it sounds like there is a person in there who learns from their mistakes. Which is nice. And that is not something we've seen with a lot of politicians. True. And that is even something that I don't know you could see Bernie, who I love, no. <laughs> having like a moment with shit. And then I realize, God, my fucking white privilege. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, no. God, I really fucked up. And so I don't see that. And then the second thing I'll say is I also am sad, though, that her mind doesn't seem as movement focused like it doesn't seem as like mm. you know not me us it, it is more like no it's me 
and me versus like the progressive movement needs this. And we've got it. Like I'm a part of this in like this grassroots thing. Yeah. I'm just a vehicle. I'm not like, I want to support the movements. I don't feel like that's maybe that's just not honest to who she is either. I felt but, like she um, was that way. It felt like she was that way uh, in the beginning of her campaign. And I, uh, yeah, it, I'm just saying the second half of her campaign, or at least towards the end made me, conflicted about what kind of politician she was. Yeah. And I, I feel like um, maybe there's some answers in the book. I'm glad that she didn't pull a uh, a Hillary Clinton in the book, you know, uh, like making it not be a whole book about why she's mad at Bernie or Bernie bros or whatever. Whereas like, <laughs> like Hillary Clinton wrote a book that was just, I think you described it as being called why I oughta. <laughs> yeah, why I oughta. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you really... You don't want, uh, you know, you don't want Elizabeth Warren, you know, writing an entire book out of spite. So it's exactly. nice to see that some humility. Yeah. And that she didn't spend time just, you know, it's not a dunk fest on Bernie, which right. is something that I think sells with some of uh some of the Democratic Party establishment that's, people. That's true. Okay, well, I want to bring in our guest. But first, I'm just going to read your comments really, really quick. You guys, thank you so much. Um, on Matt's uh, PS5, Keith McKinnon, the Deep State Scalped your PlayStation 5. Yeah. Not wrong. On JD Vance, Mitchell Evans uh, on YouTube says, Vance is malarkey. Very mm -hmm. true. Uh, on about daycare, uh, on Twitch, Daisy Dragon. Yeah, 1974, my mom would have loved universal daycare. I was four and left at home with my eight-year-old sister at times for a mom to work. Damn. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot more stories to that. Yeah, totally. Comment. Like eight years old, four. Whew. Um, fat guy named Tiny on Twitch. The dandelions are white, are where Hillary hid the emails. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Very funny. You really should write Newsmax copy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's bring in our guest. She is an author, political strategist, and organizer who co-founded, who founded the Black Futures Lab to make Black communities and powerful in politics. She's the co-creator of hashtag Black Lives Matter and the Black Lives Matter Global Network, co-founder of Supermajority, a new home for women's activism, and strategy and partnerships director for the National Domestic Workers Alliance. She shares her thoughts on politics and pop culture on her podcast, Lady Don't Take No, and her book, The Purpose of Power, How We Come Together When We Fall Apart, is available now please welcome alicia garza hello hey. hi hi it's good to be here with y'all so good to have you um alicia i you know i just wanted to get your thoughts piggybacking off of our warren conversation mm. like where wh i mean maybe just your i don't know really what question to ask but i do know that you you were uh, you did endorse Warren as a as a primary president or a candidate in the primaries. And uh, I just wanted to know, I know it's a very long conversation, but what do you make of sort of this postmortem and what you think can be learned from her campaign? Yeah, well, I hope a part of this postmortem is really not just included in her book, but is included in our movement conversations. Yeah. You know, from my perspective, I think uh, things got way too ugly between these two camps when, frankly, what the goal was, right, was to get a left of center candidate uh, as a contender for yeah. president of the United States. And, you know, I think people in each camp felt very strongly that their candidate was the candidate. But again, I think we lost sight of the ultimate goal. And frankly, yeah. when you put Warren or Sanders up against anybody else in the field, right? Uh, you start to realize that you're 
basically splitting hairs <laughs> and yeah. that there were much bigger fish to fry. Totally. So, you know, for me, I'm glad she's putting her story out there. I haven't read it also. I, I hope it it's not like Clinton's memoir because it, that was rough. Uh, <laughs> and in particular, you know, I still bristle about it because, you know, for us inside of Black Lives Matter, it was a really rough um, level of engagement. And for those of us mm -hmm. who did want to see the first woman uh, ever to become president and still held our noses knowing that, uh, you know, that Hillary Clinton, while she's been a champion for women's issues, you know, most of her life had some real serious shortcomings when it came to what we would want to see from from a leader in this country. Uh, I, I think postmortems are necessary in the sense that it gives you a chance to be honest and reflect. And I think Clinton's uh, uh, reflections were they actually made me matter than the moments in which they happened. You yeah. know? Like, oh, I was man. like, I just can't believe we're talking about this again and you still don't get it. So you still I, don't get it. You know, with Warren though, I do, I agree with you, Francesca. Like I think she is somebody who, um, for better or for worse, she's deeply human. And what I love about her is that she is able to acknowledge her mistakes and to grow as a human and to be human in her reflection. And so I actually look forward to reading uh, her memoir, but I, I think the bigger question is, does our movement do this kind of postmortem in such a way where totally. we can understand um, if we have another opportunity like that in our lifetimes, uh, what we need to do with it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess I also wanted to get your reflection as someone who's worked with Domestic Workers United Alliance and the ways that like Warren especially reached out to uh, Domestic Workers Alliance um, really, I think, did center universal pre-K and a lot of like child care and home care needs. Um, and now we're seeing that sort of reflected in um, in Biden's American Families Plan and also in the infrastructure bill. And I know that uh, organizers at Domestic Workers Alliance have been behind some of that. I just wanted to get your reflections on that and, and what, um, yeah, whether that feels like a victory or, or, or at least a halfway victory since we haven't yet signed any of these bills. It's huge. $400 billion for care as infrastructure is unheard of. And I think it's a victory that our movement needs to claim uh, because it would not have been possible without organizing. And the domestic worker movement has been organizing strong for the better part of almost two decades now. So um, it's an incredible victory. And when you look at, you know, I got to see the, the, the chart in the New York Times where it was like the bar graph that was showing how much money was going to what. And, you know, <laughs> care infrastructure was way out there. And it is. It's um, not just an idea for the future. It's an idea for right now. Uh, and yeah. I think that, you know, Joe Biden, uh, President Biden certainly understood and still understands that voters went to the polls in November and in January with a mandate and that more of our communities, working class people, poor people, people of color, right, people who had uh, skin in the game, right, really mm -hmm. went to the polls in the middle of a pandemic on the brink of an economic recession in the midst of, you know, racial terror um, to really, uh, you know, make sure that we had a future and care was at the top of the list. So I think that's important. 
when it comes to Warren, I can say, you know, she's been embedded in the movement for a long time before she uh, decided to run for president. And I, I like that about her. I like mm -hmm. the fact that she didn't just try to jump in, you know, with organizers or, you know, with those of us who have been pushing these issues for a long time when she was trying to get something out of the deal. She's been a long time right. advocate. And I'll tell you just from our perspective at the Black to the Future Action Fund, uh, we interviewed uh, most of the presidential candidates during the primary for endorsements. And Elizabeth Warren um, returned our questionnaire to us with 26 pages of policy ideas on mm -hmm. how she would improve uh, the well-being of Black communities from healthcare to housing to the economy. I mean, she's phenomenal. She's absolutely incredible. I hope the Biden administration at some point is like, we should put her on our team, not yeah. just as a legislator, right? But like, we should really put her on our team. But either way, she's an incredible asset to our movement. And I think her jumping uh, to support care infrastructure, you know, early on really shows how brilliant her policy mind is. And, and we need more of her uh, totally for the next decade, at least. I think that's a really interesting point about, you know, not only did she not win the primary and that Bernie didn't win, you know, the primary either, but that neither of them were really placed in the administration in ways that I think a lot of us maybe deluded ourselves mm -hmm. into thinking that they would be. And, mm -hmm. and and that's not to say that their ideas or the, you know, sort of the Bernie Biden, like, you know, strategy mm -hmm. committees and discussions haven't shaped his policy. But what do you make of that? And I guess we're 100 days into this administration. The guys, Biden, pre the president is still surrounding himself by some kind of like the same old, same olds. And yet his rhetoric is does feel much more Bernie Warren leaning do you like what is your assessment of whether he's going to be making good on this these policies and and or where and how we need to push i don't know just I, that's a huge question yeah <laughs> i i mean it's a good one so I, I think things have shifted and i think that we should claim that too so certainly uh when uh it became clear that joe biden was going to be the democratic party contender in you know what I would call like the, the most heavyweight match of my lifetime, mm -hmm. I, I do. I think the Biden team, um, as they were thinking about, you know, hoping they would win and thinking about what their transition was going to look like, I don't think they thought they needed progressives. I think they went into uh, this election season thinking that. Um, they had won off of moderate ideas, actually. They always and think that. <laughs> I think it really became clear, you know, as as the election went on, that that was not at all what was driving voters to the polls. And then I think January 6th happened. <laughs> yeah. And so totally. honestly, I do think things have shifted. And I think in really interesting ways, I feel like our movement is behind we're tailing the Biden administration as opposed to leading. And yeah. that is something I'm trying to wrap my head around. There's like really? smoke coming yeah. out of my ears. I'm like, wait, they're doing a lot of really progressive stuff. And 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 we're all kind of like, what's he gonna do? And he's like, I'm gonna put four hundred billion dollars into care. And we're like, wait, for real? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I just think like there's a way in which there's something for us to be considering here. And that is Rightfully so, we have been in a position for a very long time where we've had to be on defense and we've had to, you know, fight tooth and nail for even the smallest things. And the political terrain has shifted. And I'm not saying that Joe Biden is a progressive 
president. He's not. Um, I'm not saying that socialism is coming tomorrow. It's not. But mm -hmm. what I am saying is that there are some incredible openings right now of the type that we haven't seen in the last 12 years, right? And yeah. so as a movement, I think it would behoove us to start to put power on. Um, we exercised power and now we're trying to figure out how to wield it and how to keep building it and how to sustain it. And I think that's the task right now. Joe Biden is never going to be as good as we want him to be, but he's doing pretty fucking good. So <laughs> it's like, what? where are we trying to move them now? And, and honestly, I think the big uphill battle here is going to be and is um, immigration reform. Yeah. Uh, and I also think it's racial justice. I mean, we heard uh, Joe Biden's kind of speech uh, last week. And, and I'll tell you, um, there was a lot of euphemisms in there and a lot of kicking the can down the road. And what we need to- The really majority of police are good. There was a whole standing ovation around that. Yeah. We just need to wrap our heads around the fact that they are going to move so slow on this. And meanwhile, um, you know, there's been almost a dozen people that have been killed by police in the last two weeks and including just here in, in my city uh, just last week. So, you know, this is a place where we really need to rev up the engines. And unfortunately, I'm not sure that progressives are on the same page about what to do uh, around police reform, policing, mm -hmm. criminal reform, criminal system reform, and also racial justice. Like, what? how do we weed out white nationalism from this country? Is it possible? We need yes. to wrap our heads around these things and we need to start pushing and fast. That is a really interesting point because I think, uh, you know, you in your book and throughout your life have and, and are so great at understanding the differences that social movements play in change and elected officials play in change and um, sort of embracing both and and not either or and that sort of inside outside strategy of inside the halls of power and also also on the streets. And I think, you know, the BLM movement is one of the movements that is like arguably the most transformative, the most galvanizing. In 2020, it was the narrative. Other than COVID, it was the narrative. Um, and yet, yeah, we're not seeing that translate into, elect not electoral, but policy changes or like a sweeping, um, like an infrastructure bill, but for you know, the criminal justice system or racial justice more broadly. It seems like there is always a racial justice piece of what we're, of what he's proposing, which is good. It's great. And there's a sort of can be universal in that way, but I don't know. Are, what are your thoughts on like, what will it take or is it okay that at this point it's still a mass movement that is energy that, you know, has galvanized many. Well, I, I would say this differently because there has been tons of policy change. The problem is it's the same old, it's the same old solutions for a, a, a problem that can't be fixed by those solutions. So if we look at the Justice and Policing Act, sure, there's lots of things that are good about it. And uh, what the problem is there is that it continues to fund law enforcement to basically police itself which has been the practice and the pattern for a very long time. So, uh, you know, and, and I will say that even in the first couple of years of this movement, there were 26 new, uh, uh, there was more, I think there was more than 100 new laws passed around criminal system reform in 26 right. states across the country. So policy is changing. 
the problem here is that it's not addressing the core of the issue. And so as long as we continue to fund law enforcement to do things it has no business doing, like figuring out housing for people who have no homes, uh, and so therefore putting them in jail rather than in affordable housing, uh, you know, trying to address, uh, you know, mental health crises, uh, you know, dealing with um, issues of poverty. That's not actually in the purview of policing, but it's the majority of what police do. And they do it with a badge and a gun. And they right. do it, frankly, with with impunity. And so um, that is not going to address the fact that um, police are held to a different standard and they are not being held accountable for the crimes they're committing in our communities. There are no new policies that are being passed around that, unfortunately. And at the same time, um, it's not increasing our safety. And that's a huge yeah. issue. And so if we don't start to deal with that and whether or not policing is actually playing the role that we need it to play, if we need it to play a role at all, um, mm -hmm. then we're gonna continue to kind of go in these circles, right? So that's a part of it. And I, I think part of what um, this movement has opened up space for is a new conversation around what safety looks like. Yes. And that is a huge shift. And I want to kind of really um, root that there because frankly, in my entire lifetime, I'm 41 years old, almost 41, <laughs> 40 years old, and I have never heard this level of conversation happen around police. Yes. So yeah. that is a huge victory that can be credited to this movement. It must be credited to this movement. And yet we cannot stop there. We have to start putting out new ideas about how it is that we keep each other safe while also addressing the multiple factors and issues that are putting people in harm's way, a lot of which are results of an economy, right? Mm -hmm. um, that creates a level of scarcity inside of an environment of abundance. That is a huge issue that we have to address. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, it's both policy, but it's also a culture shift that's needed there. Oh, I love the way you speak, Alicia. You're so clear. And I, I have so many questions. And I do want to, you know, your book, which talks about power um, and the purpose of power and how we come together when we fall apart, which I love. And I just have to read the full title. But but what do you think that progressives and, and folks on the left misunderstand about power? Um, yeah, I guess that's a I'll just stick that landing there. Well, I think we um, often confuse power with empowerment. And so there's a, a, a desire to feel good about ourselves, to have a level of self-esteem about the things that we care about, the, the way that we are in the world. But that is not changing laws. It's not deciding where money is going and where it's not going. It's not deciding who represents you to move your agenda. It's not shaping the story of who we are and who we can be together. And certainly empowerment isn't creating consequences when the people that we put in office to represent us disappoint us. Mm -hmm. So I, I think as long as we continue to confuse these things, we also get stuck in these weird circles around um, just feeling really good about our ideas, but not actually being able to implement them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's a huge problem. So um, for me, this is the time when we really have to start thinking about how are we exercising power? How are we building power? But also how are we building power to transform how power operates? We're not mm. just trying to be 
the overseers and be of color and gay and poor. You know, it's like that's not transformational. That's just replacing one, you know, set of tyrants with another. Um, <laughs> what we're trying to do is transform the dynamic, right? Where it's not power over, it's power with. And we we are still in the process, I think, of learning how to be powerful together and how to think about um, how not to replicate the same dynamics of power that we're trying to dismantle, but also what are we putting in its place instead? It's it's an age old question. It's one that every movement has had to face and I'm I'm hoping we make a little more progress on that. Yeah, I, I feel bad because Matt Lieb, I'm not letting you jump in, but I-, I Oh no, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> I like how that was definitive. You're like, I'm not letting you jump in actually. Cause, I'm, Cause you're gonna be, I'm not gonna let you. No, you're it's, gonna, it's you, my you birthday. You get one birthday question <laughs> oh, and make it good. Oh, uh, let me think about okay, it yeah. for a while, yeah. Yeah, you think, um, no, I wanted to ask about, I think when I was coming up politically and when I became politicized, it was around just how corrupt our system of government is, how corrupt our economic system is, and how power within that inherently corrupts, right? That if you're even in elected office, you must be corrupt. Mm -hmm. And I think with Bernie, with AOC, with Rashida Tlaib, with the squad, you know, that so many uh, young progressives showing us that that does not have to be the case. It's been like, oh, they're, they actually we're talking about electoral power in a way that I've never seen movements talk about electoral power, which is also a testament to the fact that social movements are winning. And then there's the sellout narrative, right? Then there's the, well, AOC and Ayanna Presley are not doing enough, mm -hmm. quickly enough. They're not pushing Medicare for all tomorrow. They're all sellouts. They voted for Nancy Pelosi, sellouts. Mm -hmm. How do you like engage with that sort of knee jerk, but yet like, you know, maybe very base, <laughs> but like a reaction that exists? Well, in my best moments, what I try to keep in mind is that so many of us are so distant from what happens in those halls. Um, yeah. A lot of us don't know how a bill becomes a law. We don't know who's on what committee. We don't know that bills have to go to committees before they go to votes. And that yeah. in order for them to get out of committees, there has to be consensus. We don't actually know how to govern. We know how to observe who governs. Right. And so right. I have compassion for that because that's also by design, right? You're supposed to, we don't learn that in high school. And if you did, you kind of forgot it, right? So, <laughs> um, you know, we're not taught how to be engaged civic participants that are taking responsibility for the decisions that are happening there. It's so easy to throw barbs at AOC when she's in there hustling, yo, she's getting attacked right. at the same time she's trying to deliver for the people who put her there. And she's getting attacked by people on our side. And I don't just mean the movement. I mean, Nancy Pelosi had barbs for her. She had oh, bars yeah. for AOC. <laughs> she had bars for the squad. I mean, she was really wiling out on these women. Yeah. As yeah. somebody who's like, I'm a women's advocate. I was like, you're messy right now, Nancy. Oh, messy, so messy. messy. <laughs> so, so that's at the best. And at the worst, I would say, you know, um, we got to do better by each other. My friend Caitlin um, says often, you know, she says something to the degree of, you know, what a privilege it is to think that this moment is about cutting rather than sewing. Um, mm -hmm. And I just really hold that close to me. Um, it, it's, it is a marker of privilege in a way. I know that for so many of us, these issues are dire and they are on time. And at the same time, 
um, we're not going to make it if we don't make it together. So mm. yes, let's engage in principled struggle and critique and all of those things. But some of this stuff just gets nasty. So for me, I'm like, <sighs> I'll see you in the streets. <laughs> if yeah. you're as bold in these Twitter streets as you are in these real streets, well, I'll see you there. None of them are. None <laughs> no. of no, I, not at all. At, at this point, you know, I just when I see people uh, puffing up their chest on Twitter talking about uh, basically what they're doing is if I was in her position, I would do this better. And I'm like, not, you, yeah. you literally have you couldn't even pick a good handle. It's mostly numbers. Facts. You know, Facts. you're telling me that I'm going to trust you to Facts. do literally anything better than that. I mean, it's also I think it's also boring, like the yeah. actual workings of government just and this is a hard thing because I think a lot of evil things are enshrouded in the boring. Yeah. So that's the other thing is that but also evil is mundane. Evil's mundane as fuck. Yeah, yeah. But also good can be mundane. Yeah. And it's like how it is such a shortcut to throw everything to the wolves simply because I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And it's much harder to learn or to go to, you know, uh, folks who do know. <laughs> and um, I also think we assume that we are a lot bigger than we are. Meaning, yes, there are a lot of people who want, you know, healthcare for all and who want education for all. But you know what? Not everybody is organized. So yeah. the thing is, right, we assume that we are bigger than we are. Look, we have to actually build the momentum that is going to topple the oligarchy, right, of, um, of Pelosi and crew. Yes. With, and I say that with shade. I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and that is the point. That's sort of the outside strategy. And I think I feel like I read somewhere where you were basically like. And I think you've always been really good at, at talking about the role of social movements and like understanding that not all of them have an electoral track, not all of them, you know, are necessarily quote unquote co-opted or are letting an opportunity pass them by, that there's actually a strength in that kind of messy, but also militant and 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 galvanizing like street not street struggle necessarily but like political struggle yeah. that happens outside of congress but we don't all need to be doing the same thing so if electoral mm -hmm. organizing is not your thing cool don't do it but make sure that your strategy is coordinated with that so that it actually is bigger than the right. sum of our parts that's that's the idea of that not yeah. everybody is a protester not everybody is an organizer but everybody has a role to play the question is, can we be disciplined enough to be in coordination with one another and to let people do their thing the best that they can? You know what I'm saying? Like be yes. in your lane, whatever it is, but be excellent about it and be rigorous in it. And as long as that's happening, we'll get to a better place. Yeah. Alicia asking us to be excellent, you guys. So I, 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 I figured out. Oh, what's your question? I figured out my question. Oh, okay. My question is basically this, uh, being someone who's not in the movement space, you know, uh, I, I don't really know, um, I guess, what the what people talk about uh, w with regards to people like AOC or the squad or all of this like online bickering that you see. And so since you are someone in the movement, do you actually see a similar level of uh, kind of vitriol and uh, maybe bad faith critique of these candidates 
in movement spaces or is that something that might be more of a, a social media uh, invention? Matt, we're all in the same movement. So the <laughs> conversations you're seeing are yeah. the conversations I'm seeing. We might just be in different rooms, yeah. we're in the same yeah. house. And right. uh, you know, look, if it makes you feel any better. Yes, um, when please. I when I sit at the feet of OGs, which I do mm -hmm. often just to be like, am I insane? And they're like, no, 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 no. Y'all yeah, yeah. <laughs> have actually gone so much farther than we went and we're yeah. so proud. And I'm like, really? Because I feel like I'm walking in like 30 year old molasses, right? And they're mm -hmm. like, no, no, no. This We were dealing with this before too. We just right. didn't have social media. Right. Yeah. So there was open letters and, you know, eight hour dialogues lots and all that papers, stuff. Yeah. Lots, lots of papers, of papers and lots of polemics. Yeah, lots of polemics. sure. Yeah. People were still talking shit to each other back in the day. Sure. Though. Yeah. So, I, you I know, feel like and first... about each other. Yeah, I, th I I first uh, saw you speak actually at an event in Oakland with uh, with, Max. with Max Elbaum, who wrote oh, this Maxie. book. Yeah, and he wrote a book, Revolution in, in the Air, uh, which talks a lot about like the factionalism in the movement at yeah. the time. And uh, w the reason that I'm like trying to suss out whether or not there is a different version of uh, online versus real life is because I like to believe that movement spaces are literal physical spaces where everyone who's cool gets together and figures this shit out. No, no. <laughs> and, yeah. Let me just say, I mean, I, I always like to say to people that movements are messy. And they are messy by nature because they're comprised of humans who are trying to accomplish something that hasn't been done before. And we're bringing all of our stuff to it, good, bad, and ugly. And so if you're entering into movement, wanting it to be a place where there's no conflict or strife, mm -hmm. you're going to be really disappointed. Yeah, I think that the skill that we need to figure out is how do we disappoint each other, frustrate each other, clash with each other, but still end up on the other side together, knowing mm, what's yes. at stake. And how do we have realistic expectations about what happens when messy as human beings try to get together and accomplish something together? Yeah. Um, and then how do we show up differently knowing, right, that this is the conundrum that we have to figure out. Yeah. Uh, emotional intelligence should be an organizing tool, right? And it's yeah. not yeah. yet, but it should be, and we'll get there. I, I, I fundamentally believe it. Door knocking, emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, text banking. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. Or for me, uh, lurking on Twitter to see why everyone's fighting. <laughs> I lurk like, too, even when my name's in it. I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> I'm like, what are you people talking about? That's not I'm even like, the right Alicia. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I'm turning this off. I'm turning yeah. this off. You're confusing me with Patrice again. <laughs> uh, um, we have one final segment. Alicia, will you stick around? Yeah, for sure. Okay, wonderful. I always put my guests in a hard position where they can't say no. So, <laughs> got you. <laughs> Um, and thank you all for sticking with us. We have one last segment because it was May Day recently, International mm. uh, Workers Day. Um, and it was begun here in the States, I believe, the modern May Day, um, influenced, inspired by the Haymarket uh, affair or massacre riot, whichever side you're on. You know, sure. if you're cool, it was a massacre. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, if you're with the cops, it was a riot. Mm -hmm. uh, but workers in Chicago organizing for an eight-hour workday. Man, we are, that was in 1866. Someone else do the math. We now want a 32-hour workday, obviously. But I want to ask you two, 
and everyone out there, what is your ideal work scenario? Your like dream work scenario in terms of work-life balance, whatever, whatever. Um, this is, what are we calling this? My ideal work life. I don't really have an answer for this one because I feel like I'm doing it yeah. right now, yeah. which is just podcasting with people that I like and mm. care about and I think are smart yeah. and I'm happy. Um, but I will say this. I'll say um, 32 hours, maybe less a week. I don't think anyone can be productive for more than four hours a day. I, like I firmly believe you can be like like on, 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 killing it four hours. The rest is other. It's like it's reading by emails, the cooler. It's yeah. emails. It's answering. Long it's, lunch. it's a meeting that you don't need to be in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But four hours, and you get like you should get like a pass for a meeting. Like, oh, Matt, Matt used his pass today, so you don't have to be in that meeting. Oh yeah, like a get a jail free card. Yeah, like a but for bad meetings. But for shitty meetings, I love that. And just kombucha flowing from everywhere, and I, I love it. Describing a WeWork, you which are. I know is bad. <laughs> are those things still around? That's right. Amazing. I think I feel what what's interesting is that you're describing your ideal work life, which still for some reason consists of shitty meetings that you have to go to, except for one. <laughs> except for the one I know. Except the, for one. Dream big, guys. Yeah, dream you big. get one less meeting. Yeah, it's just that, that shows like uh just the level of capitalist indoctrination that we've like succumbed to no, in which no, no. we're just the like reality... my ideal work life is of course an office building um <laughs> with lots of co-workers first and of all you know you like ac so i actually a, really like... like offices i'll just be I real mean, i fucking hate i cannot work in a fluorescent light okay so for me yeah. no fluorescent lights mm. uh but maybe a nice space a some lamp succulents yeah lamp light like yeah so a big window but also um just the ability to not like Ah, fuck. This is feels so small. You're right, Matt. It yeah. feels really small. But uh, I think, um, hmm. I mean, I like that it's honest. It's like this is a, a work life that you could actually expect to have. Three days a week. Yeah. Fourth day, we all play outside. Yeah. And there is no commute at all. Yeah. You get like catapulted to wherever you need to go. <laughs> or you like ride on like a little... Like, like in the Jetsons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those two. Some if you're gonna commute, make it cute. Like yeah. real cute. Like you it's gotta be a little a cloud brings you a little gondola. <laughs> like a like a you know You gotta put if you're gonna commute, make it cute onto a t shirt because I that like is that. great. Someone yeah. has that as a horrible bumper sticker on their like uh, Audi or some bullshit. Oh, um right. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia, what do you what do you think about for an ideal work life? Switch. naps naps whenever you need them paid yeah. nap time you know yeah you know like i have paid lunch you have paid break I, I think there should be paid naps yes oh i agree with that completely I love that. yeah paid naps you get like it should be like where if you hit two hours you mm -hmm. get like a bonus exactly. yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> and like every rem cycle that you go through you you actually make time and a half because they're exactly. like you're you're because you're refreshing your brain which makes you better at your work Exactly. Yep. Exactly. That's, that's and good. I would say, um, uh, well, now I'm just making up my ideal labor laws because that's what it is. Yeah, but yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say, I, I would say um, mandatory employment for all. So 
we don't all, you know, I'm not talking about like, you know, you have to have a job at McDonald's. I mean, every single person should be able to support themselves and their families and get naps. I -hmm. like your idea of no commute (laughs) or Jetson style commute. Jetson style commute. Um, and but I'm going to say employment, like the ability full to employment. Yeah. Guaranteed full employment. And I would also offer that, um, I would ban meetings over 45 minutes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's such a specific time. No, that's exactly right. Just not necessary. You're not talking about anything good. Yeah. You're rambling yeah. on. You've now done check-ins about what your superpower is. And right, you exactly. Like, fuck all of that, dude. Just yeah. get to the point. We could actually get this done in 15 minutes if everybody yes. would just focus. Yeah. You know We've I mean? been, you've been in way more meetings than I have, Alicia, but I will say when a check-in goes for an hour, I actually want to jump out a window yeah. oh like, i've hung up i've hung up before yeah <laughs> I've, I've yeah i've been like, I like i'm not doing this sorry yeah. internet's out it's a pandemic yeah. <laughs> internet's out uh, ban ban this. all hands meetings <laughs> yeah oh, all hands meetings. all hands done no, no more hands. no hands nobody meeting. has hands. Okay, yeah <laughs> matt what about your ideal work situation um three days a week uh you work just straight up in a hot tub, right? So like, it's a workspace that also is a hot tub at the same time. We'll figure out the science of making it waterproof eventually. Mm, it's fine. Um, I also, I, I like, if I'm being real, I, I love the idea of uh, 32 hours as kind of like, that's full-time work. Full-time. Um, because it's true. You really only work four hours. Um, but for me, I like working from home. And what I mean by that is like, you know, the self-employed life, you know, being able to like have a few different jobs, but I want to have an office that's not at home. Mm-hmm. So not we work because we work's bad, but I know there are community work centers that people do go to that have snacks yeah, and that, that are not, we, they're not we works. I'm not talking about them I'm talking yeah. about a different, a different type. I, I like the Starbucks. Idea. Yeah, like a Starbucks, but with without the feeling of like being surrounded by people working on their screenplay, you know? Like I don't want that. Been, at least you've been to like oh, what's the like all female spaces? The wing. The, the wing. wing. Yeah. We had you had the event there for Domestic Workers Alliance, yeah. right? That yeah, was the wing. member. I remember the wing. Nice. And I, it listen, makes you feel very important muy importante. It does. And you know what makes you feel muy importante? The food is good. Yes, the food is good. Food food. Is good. And also, there's like um, there's a place where you can like get ready for real. It's not like um, you know, you've got your suitcase on the bathroom floor and you're like wearing your socks because you're like, oh my god, this is so gross, right? Yeah, it's the like, floor is gross. <laughs> yeah, you could like sit and blow dry your hair and yes. do your makeup, and there's like stuff there for you to do it. You know, yeah. but, it, but there's good cute food furniture. Makes yeah. I had like a free, I had a free couple months and I loved it. And I, all I had to do was post about it on social media. I was like, I will do. And then when it ran out, I was like, well, <laughs> got to create a new social media account. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I love this. We need to move to a healthier work life. Yes. My God, it's been too long. 32 hours of hot tub life. There are 32 hours of hot tub that life. You, you get there through a Jetson style uh, yes, tube. Cloud yes. or tube. New, yeah. uh, uh, just Mnemonic tube. Mnemonic yeah. tube. People in the comments, paid to sleep, teleportation, 30 to $40 an hour. Love it. Mm-hmm. Two, love dog, it. two dog parades a day. Yes. Perfect. I love a dog parade. <laughs> 
overtime over six hours. Nice. Um, Finally, batting baseballs to break glass windows for a living. Okay. Love. Get out the stress. Do or like yeah. spinning dishes, you know, like in yes. <laughs> that, Yeah, I'm with it. I love so, it that there's like a a, a limp biscuit style break stuff room where you're just <laughs> where you just smash it. Yeah, you just get to like just let all of your frustration out. You know, everyone can smash no a fax machine together. You. There's no, you, mm-hmm. it does not look bad on you. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's encouraged. The more yeah. you break, if you haven't broken a TV that yeah. week, yeah. it's like what's going on. And every Friday, consequence free boss roast mm-hmm. where everyone the boss has to sit there. And everyone gets to say exactly how they feel about the boss uh, just just on Fridays. And she has to sit there and take it. I say she because I'm thinking of a very specific boss that I had about a year ago who was just terrible to people. Well, you know, in the in the nonprofit sector, as a boss in the nonprofit sector, let me tell you, that's that's actually every day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> every single day, people tell you exactly how they feel about you. They're like, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think I did see your you face. You know what like, I need? Yeah. yeah. Great. Cool. Oh, God. All good. It's all good. Yeah. Um, Alicia Garza, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Everybody, get the purpose of power, how we come together when we fall apart. Listen to Alicia's podcast, um, uh, Lady Don't Take No. She's got awesome guests. And and Alicia, anything else you want to plug? Thanks for having me. And check out my YouTube channel. We're up and we're live. And the most recent video we put up is. Books and Black Lives. Check out my book recommendations. We, we'll uh, link you can to find it. That's me just awesome. at Alicia Garza. Yep. Check me out. Hell yeah. All right. Be very well. Take good care. Thank you so much. All right, you guys. Uh, I just want to jump over to your your awesome comments here. Great uh, comments. <laughs> Terrific comments. Wonderful comments. Wonderful we just comments. can't let him go, can we? Culture Sculptor on YouTube. They should turn Trump Tower into a homeless shelter. Damn. Love it. Yeah. Uh, ideal Democratic candidate Patricia Swan says we need a candidate that's Warren, that is Warren and Bernie's ideas, Pelosi's ability to corral the Dems and the charisma we have been lacking in the Dems party for our next presidential candidate. Mm, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. Uh, no. On organizing uh, robot Lilliput, uh, get involved in your union and you will learn how to govern by consensus. Absolutely. That is it is so true. It, union work is hard, but mm-hmm. like there are amazing organizers and getting involved in your union. It's like also where you work, where you work needs to have a union and everyone will be better for it. And finally, Andrew Martin says, happy B-Day, Matt Lee. Hey, thank you. Woo. I appreciate it. Been a wonderful birthday. So great. Thank you guys. And thanks to everyone who helps put this show together, to Becca Roofer, to Ellie Hoffman doing the comments to Kelly Carey to Dorsey Shaw on the other side of YouTube. And remember, guys, fuck the patriarchy, fight the power, and don't just bitch about it. Be about it. <laughs> it's my birthday. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>